The 2020 Network is brought to you by Interact. It seems like financial crime is a news headline every day. Everyone is looking for ways to keep their money safe, but what are some simple tips for businesses and Canadians to protect themselves? Interact is offering tips at interact.ca slash fraud prevention. Hello, everybody. It's Friday, February 15th. I've got the crew here, the regular crew here with me, uh, David Reevely of the Canadian Press and Shannon Proudfoot of McLean's. It's the day after Valentine's. I got to ask, did your kids come home with some cute little Valentine's Day cards, chocolates? They did. It was yeah. cute. I've come kind of come around on the children's version of Valentine's right. Day. I still think it's silly for adults. Yes. And for public stunt marriage proposals, but it's cute for kids. It's cute for kids. The, the, apparently the big thing is uh, hologram Valentine's. Ones Ooh, that, that, that change. Yeah. Um, for some reason, one of my kids uh, came home with a Valentine that shows the Toronto Maple Leafs goalie stopping uh, Art <laughs> Puck oh. and goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Mine came Ooh. home with one, but it was a Sens goalie. So there yeah. must be just, I don't know if there's a variety pack or you pick your allegiance. There was always a theme in the card selection at Valentine's. It was always about, you know, the, the most popular Disney character or whatever it was. Um, okay. So we'll get into it because we got a big lineup here. Uh, more, at least a little more, has been made of the SNC-Lavalin affair that has uh, rocked Ottawa since last week. On Tuesday, former Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould resigned from the Trudeau cabinet. And this opened up sort of a whole new set of questions, um, generated a whole new round of speculation. So I guess a little reminder here. Last Thursday, the Globe and Mail published a report alleging that senior officials in the prime minister's office pressured the attorney general to interfere in the criminal prosecution of this company. So this massive engineering and construction firm, SNC-Lavalin, has um, been charged with multiple accounts of bribery and fraud in relation to dealings um, and contracts in Libya. They are before a Montreal court. They have been lobbying the government to try to get a DPA, which we explained last week, a deferred prosecution agreement or a remediation provision um, to avoid going through the courts. So they were denied this. And Raybould stood by this decision. In this Globe and Mail report, unnamed sources state that she felt she was pressured by these senior officials in the PMO to go the other way, uh, to, to, to sort of grant them this exemption. Um, so she was shuffled. This relates to the story. She was shuffled out of her post um, as AG in January, um, which many saw as a firing. And now she is out of cabinet. So she still hasn't come out publicly to speak about the ongoing controversy in her resignation letter. She said, I am in the, quote, I am in the process of obtaining advice on the topics that I am legally permitted to discuss in this matter. As such, have retained the Honorable Thomas Albert Cromwell, CC as counsel. So there are legal dimensions here. And, you know, cabinet confidentiality, um, she's bound by solicitor client privilege. But people have taken to Twitter with the hashtag, let her speak. Whose decision is it to let her speak? And, you know, of what can someone explain this solicitor client privilege element? Okay, I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) As when she was minister of justice, whoever is minister of justice slash attorney general, they're kind of two hats worn by the same person is the the government's chief legal advisor. And as such, she was the government's lawyer while this was going down. And that was, you know, as Justice Minister and Attorney General, she would have been involved in 
discussions about whether making this deal for SNC-Lavalin was the right thing to do. As justice minister, she's a politician. As attorney general, she is a lawyer and in some important ways the head of the prosecution service or she can direct the head of the, the federal prosecution service. But the advice that she gives and the discussion she has in that capacity, she is doing as a lawyer. And so she, there is solicitor client privilege that she, as a lawyer, working as the, as the government's top lawyer, cannot violate even afterwards, unless she's given permission. Permission. Oh, by okay. the client. And to be honest, I'm not clear precisely who the client is in this case. Yeah. I mean, people keep saying Trudeau could waive it, but it's right. not clear if that rests with him as a person. Yeah, or the yeah. cabinet, or the government in some broader sense and who actually can make that call. So let her speak. It's not up to her. Well, I think there's a couple of different levels of let her speak. There's, I mean, because now there's the machinations with Justice Committee where the Liberals very hopefully put up a list of witnesses that did not include the one person that everyone wants to hear from. Mm. So there's just a straight up, let's get her into a forum where she can talk. But then there's also the questions of the limitations on what she can say, given the solicitor client privilege. And and one more thing on that, actually, the reason why solicitor client privilege might still, you might still want to enforce that and not free her to say exactly what they talked about is this case is still going on. Actually, these cases are still going on. Right. So... This is, you know, the the at any level of government, legal advice is usually delivered in camera. It's delivered behind closed doors because it can reveal the legal strategy. Mm. And there are the you know, SNC Lavalin is being prosecuted mm. by the Crown, other people who worked for Jody Wilson Raybould, and in her capacity as Attorney General and Justice Minister, and that, those cases are still on. Yeah. And so if you get into talking publicly about the legal strategy and what other ministers were thinking that could ultimately harm the administration of justice and the pursuit of of you know, ultimately a, the, what's right in this case. And can she be free to only talk about a little bit of what they, you know, uh, what, did she feel pressured? Or can if she's going to be free, does she have to be free to say everything so that we can fully understand what happened and what does that do to the case against uh, SNC Lavalin? Yeah. It right. really it is not as simple as it looks. No. And and I mean a lot of people are saying to hire someone um, the, the 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 lawyer she did you're you're being very precise and delicate about what you can say and what you can't say and anyway. Well, certainly I think that's how people sort of interpreted her resignation letter with the line in it, I don't recall the specific wording, but saying I, I've, I'm seeking advice on sort of what I can say, yes. that would seem to suggest I am eager to say something. Yeah. Um, yeah. That she has something she wants to say, but she needs some advice on where those lines are drawn. Did you watch Trudeau's reaction to um, the, the resignation? I mean, there was that press conference. This was the first time I felt he was quite stern about where he stood um, and that the, the PMO... Was this the one where he said, because to be honest, there's, there's so too, much, right, I'm losing track of everything. Was this the one where he said that she should have That's she right. should have said something if she felt uncomfortable? Is that the press conference you're talking That's about? That's right. And it was at... Yeah. Um, is, is it a Winnipeg bus garage? Right, yeah. Bus garage. Yeah. Nothing but glamour. Yeah, well, it's shiny and new. <laughs> <laughs> there's so, no oil stains anywhere on this thing because it's just... Just been expanded, just been built. That's true. But yeah, it was. It felt like it was the first time he had come out to be to to defend himself. He was pretty tough. Yeah, Uh, and you know, if you want to go strictly by the book, I think he's not necessarily wrong either. If if she had felt as attorney general, if she felt 
pressured at the time, which would have been improper if that's what happened, then the strictly honorable thing to do if you're a cabinet minister in a government that you believe is behaving dishonorably is to quit and to say why. And if you're as if you're the attorney general and you think that the government is messing around in the mm. administration of justice, that actually, I, I mean, this is a matter of of scholarly dispute because there aren't a whole lot of precedents for it. But the, if you are a solicitor who's been asked to do something illegal mm-hmm. by the government, then that might free you from solicitor-client privilege in that right. case. But you've got to act on it then. Yeah. You can't continue to serve as Minister of Justice for four more months and then take on a different cabinet and be post, like, oh, okay. which is the Prime Minister's argument. Yeah, and now I'm going to sucker punch you. Um, so the fallout's been, like, the Ethics Commissioner has launched an, an investigation um, into the matter. And... The House of, as 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 you were saying, Chair, the House of Commons Justice Committee held an emergency meeting on Wednesday afternoon to uh, address the affair. Um, they agreed to study the the issue, but there they didn't agree on everything. They didn't agree on a lot. They didn't agree on a lot. So they're now having. So they spent hours arguing about basically who to call. But not even just about who to call, about when and under what circumstances to have a meeting to determine and discuss who to call. So the next step is on Tuesday, they're having a meeting um, in camera. The interesting thing about that is that the only votes that will be recorded are ones that get a yes, not ones that get a no. Oh, I see. So with the majority liberal membership on the committee, you can imagine if if they don't particularly want Jody Wilson-Raybould or Jerry Butts or whoever to be called that will not be recorded. So we won't know a whole lot, barring leaks, which I'm sure will come because that's right. the way things go. Right. Um, we won't necessarily know a lot about what went on. And that's, so that's, I, my understanding is that's sort of a meeting to plan the guest list for upcoming hearings. So there's a way this works so that each, each party would have put forward a motion saying this is who we want on our witness list. The liberals put like they a had very... like Yeah, the liberals had three yeah, uh, the the opposition, the conservatives had nine, nine. and then yeah. Nathan Cullen sort of oh, right. proposed some middle ground of six, including you know Jody Wilson-Raybould, who's kind of the the, the key star, the get yeah for this. Um, but with the Liberals having a five-four majority, they did not vote for that. So off it goes. So they put they also interestingly, I thought it was interesting. Um, they put in instead of the some some regular conservatives who are on the committee, they put in some heavy hitters. They put in Lisa mm. Raitt and Pierre Polyev to. Mm-hmm. To um, to ask questions and be there and and get you know put forward the motion. What does that signal? They they claimed it was oh it's snowstorm people couldn't get to the meeting and yeah so they they had a you know Lisa Ray represents place near Toronto. Uh, Paul Oliver represents an Ottawa riding, yes. so it was relatively easy for them to get there. And substitutions on committees, you know that that does that's pretty routine. Yeah. Uh, although one of the tricky elements in this, and I, I'm not in a position to say what the truth is, but they, the Justice Committee, the members are quite proud of how kind of collegial yes, and, and friendly this. they've been. And yeah. there was some talk that, listen, if there's any committee that can get to the bottom of this without descending into total partisanship, right. it's this group. And then they changed the group. So it's the same committee, but with different people in it. And will Lisa and is it unknown whether or not Miss Wright and Pierre Parliev uh, will continue on? I think it is unknown. It yeah. is unknown. Okay. I mean, if, if they stay there after the weather lets up at, and the next meeting, yeah. then I think it'll be clearer what they're hoping to get out of it. I right. think you know, no one's in a position to say that this wasn't right. honest, uh, you know, that that was who they could get there and that's who got there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
It, it, we'll yeah. see how it goes, though. Yeah. It's it also they are the the two that can be particularly partisan and and particularly um, you know tough and aggressive with with the uh, liberals. Um, the liberals' motion, I guess, included uh, explanation. I want to say um, that the the system that our system of government follows the the Shawcross doctrine. So meaning that that PMO staffers can have conversations with the attorney general about legal matters, but nothing more. It's just to say, like, that can happen. It's not unusual. Right. But there's quite sort of subtle limitations on it. Mm-hmm. And I think sort of to David's point, if and when Jody Wilson-Raybould talks, depending on how limited she is and what she can say, because so much of this seems to turn on subtleties, like, it, I, I have no particular knowledge of exactly what went down, but it increasingly sounds to me like there are at least some interpretations at the heart of this, um, at at the heart of the difference in story between the PMO Mm. and Jody Wilson-Raybould, which means you really need to get a fulsome explanation of what each of those parties think went down and what this pressure or direction or whatever you want to term it, where, what it boils down to. And if she's sort of hampered in what she can say, um, I wonder if you'll just miss the subtleties that would actually clarify things any, in any way. Because we sort yeah. of said, like, about the heart of this story that broke last Thursday, we know almost no more about that today than we did a week ago when we recorded. No. That part. I mean, yeah. there's tons of other stuff that's swirled around it, but we still don't know. Like, the central... We've heard virtually nothing, and certainly nothing direct, from Jody Wilson-Raybould. Yeah. And her, her perspective We have heard from key. her father. We have, yeah, who is a renowned Native... Yeah leader uh, in his own right. Although, I mean, my my most recent understanding is that they're not close. Uh, right. And so he would kind of be looking at this as someone who knows his daughter, but not necessarily as someone she would have confided in right. on these details. So, Although it was interesting. I did a story last week. It was not an award winner, but, or in this past <laughs> week, where I, where I went, I yeah. went and kind of dug through her, her Twitter history, which I realize is like one step up from a cat photo gallery. But <laughs> in the absence of anyone speaking, we looked for the breadcrumbs <clears throat> we could find. And it was interesting because to me, one of the most fascinating things about this is how deliberate it seems to me like she is being in making sort of semi-covert public statements like there were Hmm. all those little clues in her speeches over the last few months Mm -hmm. that she was pretty dissatisfied with her own government there were you know that that line in her um in her the letter that kind of manifesto she published the day after she was demoted that that was like thunderously important it seemed after the fact about independence and then there were all these lines in her speeches and so then I looked at her twitter because it seemed to me like she's either someone who wears her heart on her sleeve a bit or is playing a very strategic communication game, like sort of under the radar. And so she had reposted her father's interview and said, thank you, Papa. And I thought, I thought because you can think through as a family dynamic thing, we've all had our parents say whatever they want without authorization from us. So I thought it was interesting that she sanctioned it with what appeared to be a very heartfelt statement for having her back. Um, And she was reposting some of the other kind of most strident words of support. So I think she reposted uh, Phil Potts' post. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it just, it certainly looks like there's a lot of emotion involved here. Yeah. Um, and I mean, interesting too, her her resignation letter from cabinet didn't thank, I mean, I mean yeah. the Trudeau or, the, or, right. or her colleagues even. I mean. I, we still don't even really know why she resigned. No, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's right. all surmise and, and you can 
clearly they were not getting along and yeah. the, the timing does seem significant. He, he, Trudeau said the fact that she's still in cabinet should tell you a lot. Oh, and yeah, hours that was, later she was, that was a bit yes, what? But exactly what does that mean? It's still a black box. Yeah, that was tough, eh? The day before he had come out saying that. Okay. Well, where where we left now? Well, we've again we've got this um, justice meeting next week, Tuesday. Tuesday, which will get some more buzz around, and we will wait to see if Miss Raybould uh, does say anything. Um, in Ontario politics, moving on. Ontario's Minister of Children, Community, and, and Social Services, Lisa McLeod, is now apologizing over comments she made to an autism support group that effectively said that she or she was threatening staff that, that if they didn't support the government's new autism funding plan, they'd have a very tough next four years. Ouch. So she tweeted out her apology yesterday. She said, it's been an emotional time throughout this process. My focus has always been on the 23,000 children who were abandoned under the previous government's plan. This is an issue I take very personally, and I apologize if my comments made anyone feel threatened or uncomfortable. Um, And she's referring to the 23,000 children who are on wait lists for autism services. So in Ontario, the Ontario Association for Behavior Analysts uh, made the assertion that the minister requested a quote of support for the program or else. Um, It also indicated that if it wasn't possible, a statement would be released from the minister's office that behavior analysts are self-interested. So they refused and responded with, like, we we need more information about this program. Um, But resign, hashtag resign Lisa McLeod was trending on Twitter uh, yesterday afternoon. How did... Doug Ford react to this. Did he? He said he backs her. Backs and, her. Uh, he, he would never, ever, ever ask her to resign. And I think there were that many ever. Uh, there, yeah, <laughs> it was really uh, emphatic. It was quite firm. And <laughs> that she and he and the government have the best interests of vulnerable children at heart. That was. This was something that they didn't always he say that children with autism are his kryptonite. Yeah. This was an odd. That quote. was a bit odd. Yeah. Um. So he's because. In a way, like the stories I saw referenced that where he, I think what he meant to say was, this is a difficult and heartfelt issue that we are wrestling with and trying to do our best with. But then what the stories recalled was when he made quite horrendous comments as a Toronto city yeah. councillor about, um, uh, like, I don't know home. if it was a group home or, yeah, oh, a, for children right. with autism, where he said something along the lines of, I didn't know they'd be going out. Yeah, like, yes. he thought it was a great yeah. thing for a neighbourhood until they heard that they, until he heard that these were human beings yeah. who would be out in the community. So it is just an odd, it's an odd construction to talk about um, parents and kids who have particular needs as your personal kryptonite as a I, It reminds me of a, tr- a Trump saying, like, I love women or, like, I love those kind of people. Like... It's bizarre. I mean, that this they have sort of had autism on their prior or, or autism funding on their priority list since they came in. But yeah, it, I think he said like I would never ask her to resign, no matter what. Um, I mean, but, she has been one of his most loyal, yes. and vocal allies. Yes. Um, yes, and she was not someone who played that role, particularly for Patrick Brown. Mm. Uh, and she's a she's a, a big deal in Eastern Ontario conservative yes, politics. Right. So alienating her would be a bad idea be for bad any, idea. any conservative leader. It's it's bad a pretty bad. odd thing to say. I mean, it, like, as you said, this is the group that is reporting she said this. She has not denied it. Um, she sort of implicitly apologized or explained it. But it, it's a pretty bald thing to say. Like, it's hard to interpret the meaning of what she said in any way other than some kind of sort of strong arming to get a quote. Um, 
it's been a curious thing because she has also come out and said when people have criticized this new plan, she's explicitly said, I've seen it in several interviews, what do you want me to do? Take money from uh, abused women? Like she sort of set up this this kind of zero sum thing where she has like a finite, like a Tupperware container of money. Mm. And if you dare to say mm-hmm. that this new autism plan is perhaps not going to serve needs, that you're then taking money out of the hands of women fleeing abusive relationships. So the revised autism funding plan essentially directs money away from the service providers to the families, but it states that there'd be a... a um, Families would get, and that these are keywords, up to $140,000 to pay for treatment, um, but it would be a yearly funding cap, <clears throat> and the money would be directed based on age and not severity or intensity of uh, the condition. So there's no new money here. Um, it's just a reallocation of money, and it's not that much. There's just it's the same as before. It is not enough, considering we know that services can be up to like eighty grand a year. It is stunningly expensive this treatment, and and because it's there are various forms of treatment, and it depends on on what the person is dealing with, but. Almost always, it is very intensive. It's one-on-one, requires highly trained people, and so it costs a lot of money. And uh, the way it worked before, money was allocated to what the government saw as some of the highest need people. But that left thousands of people, you know, money ran out, and then thousands of kids were not getting any government-funded service at all. And so there was this waiting list. And there were there were people who were going to go their entire lives on the waiting list, never getting And that's treatment. obviously a huge that's and a legitimate huge. problem. It is. That is. And this was a thing the Tories sure. took up in opposition. Sure. Um, and parents were very, very unhappy with the Liberals because right. their kids were never going to get helped. So what's happened is essentially the same pot of money is being distributed more broadly. And so there will be people who got no support at all before who will be getting support from the government, will be getting funding from the government. But the kids with the most intense needs or the most profound needs, will not be getting anything like enough money to cover their treatment. And, I mean, without passing judgment on whether that's an appropriate distribution of resources, they are clearing the waiting list for sure mm-hmm. They're by distributing the same amount of money across many more people. And will it do any good? Will it? Is that a better outcome? I can see why some people would say no. Even if you get rid of the waiting list you're giving so you're giving this money to to the families then they have to go out and find these services well and i think there's some concern too that service providers will then be overwhelmed that rates could go up that there could be Mm -hmm. fewer service providers available or shoddier um because there's going to be such an increased demand if you live in a, a rural or outlying area although i don't know if you're any better or if you're any worse off here than you were if it was sort of centrally funded mm. so yeah you've moved 23,000 kids off the waiting list in theory which is obviously a good thing for them but it's sort of short-term gain for long-term pain because yeah. n- what critics are saying and like what concerned parents are saying is that now no one is getting a basket of money that is enough yeah. for the most high-needs kids, and it's kind of a one-size-fits-all approach is, I think, the one right. of the biggest criticisms of it, that it doesn't scale the funding by the severity of need. Because I, I know, like, people have been talking on Twitter, parents have been super vocal about this, and someone was saying, like, my my youngest at this point has super intense needs and is, like, we're talking 60 grand a year. My oldest needs 2,000. Like, how does this, how does this help this us in it. any realistic way? That's what I was chatting with uh, 
my former colleague Mike Moffat about right. This. I think it was actually him and yes. his spouse who were having that yes. exact conversation that I'm referencing. Exactly, yeah. and uh, and they've been very vocal about it. And he was saying that for his son Matt, Maddie, um, they require a lot more services, and it's far more expensive. But his elder daughter, who's lower um, on the spectrum. Um, doesn't require as many services. So they'd be kind of figuring out how to spend that money and and allocate it. So it just, it just doesn't really make sense that component of it, but he has been also vocal that the the previous plan has not, wasn't sufficient either. So it's not, it's not a, a party thing. It's just, there needs to be more money. It's incredibly expensive. And the you know therapy the therapy for this type of condition requires repetition it doesn't it's just not a one off type of thing it's continuous. it's not like a surgery and then you recover yes. it's a it's a, for the the full length of a child's development yeah. it's years and years and years and years and years <sighs> yeah anyway it's brutal i can't imagine anything more stressful than no. feeling like you don't have the ability to get what you think your kid needs and especially if you know the fact that oh uh Kids do better. Kids with autism do better if they if they're served earlier. Yeah, from what I hear, the differences with intensive good treatment are enormous. Like the the long term outcomes, like it really right. does make a big difference. So and these these I'm without getting into too many of the details. Both my kids were late to talk, and that can be a sign of autism early on. Um, and often there are no. I, there can be no clues. Sometimes I guess it's obvious that what direction a, a kid is going and you know what you need to do, but other times it's not as clear. But all the advice was get on this early because mm. the earlier you start, the better the outcomes will be. And so you're seeking treatments before you even know what the problem is in some cases. And that can go on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. And I think that was the one one of the big points of criticism too of the previous liberal plan is that people were waiting Years, years to even get a diagnostic yeah. appointment. And meanwhile, you have this clock ticking in your head that everyone's telling you get on it early. Yeah. So it, it's not, I can sort of see, yeah, it's just a very thorny thing because it, it was, it's one plan that people really don't like replacing another plan that people had a different set of problems. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to, we're going to move on. Uh, we're going to go to our third and final topic here. Grab your tissues, ladies and gentlemen. We're <laughs> in for an story. Emotional. I love it. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's it's a great story, but we all have sort of said we're, we're equally as emotional about it. The world is is formally saying good night and goodbye to NASA's Mars rover Opportunity. Oppie. It's a sad time. On Wednesday, the Space Exploration Agency declared that the mission was terminated, the rover dead. Uh, opportunity, or Oppie, um, <laughs> as they called it. They, her? They go- she's a girl? Oh, they call sorry. Yes. Oppie, as they called because her. Because we're all about anthropomorphizing yes, mechanical instruments right. on Mars. Um, had gone radio silent and stopped communicating with Earth since last June during a massive sandstorm. Uh, they made over a thousand commands to restore communication with Oppie, but they had no success. Uh, and June 10th was their last interaction. The She was built only for a three-month excursion to explore Mars' surface, um, but it lasted, she lasted, I keep getting this wrong, she lasted <laughs> almost 15 years. It's remarkable. That is so amazing. This rover was super determined. Um, Oppie made some major discoveries. I mean, on, on top of the, the um, 
whole goal of of helping engineers and scientists have an understanding of what the what Mars surfaces would be like if they ever were to have an expedition out there. It was also determined that um, through visuals that there was actually water on that planet at um, at one point. So. It was quoted in their press release, opportunity vastly surpass, uh, surpassed all expectations in its endurance, scientific value, and longevity. David, you very cruelly <laughs> sent <laughs> this group a comic of... We had some sads yesterday. Yeah, of Oppie going through Mars there's, terrain There's a alone. sad one and a happy one. There's a sad one and a happy one. But it was, I was drawn to the sad one. And yeah, Oppie was just roaming alone, waiting for someone to come. Uh, is it weird that we can apply this much emotion to No, I totally agree. I mean, the comics, xkcd.com, great comics for nerds, yeah. science and, and, but not just, not just science. Anyway, awesome. This one's from years ago, actually, about opportunity, anthropomorphized, anthropomorphosed out on the surface of Mars, setting out, you know, day one of 90, going to do some science. <laughs> Isn't this great? You know, day two, this is fun. Day 15, still going strong. Day 92, okay, I guess I can keep going because I was supposed to go home a couple days ago. Day 1500, I guess I'll analyze this rock. Maybe maybe I'll get this one right. I guess you didn't like the last one. And then it sort of finishes with opportunity going, mm-hmm. yeah. shutting down alone on this Martian plane. Uh, like not thinking Sad that we never went job. back for her. Yeah. Someday, though, someday, when humans get to Mars, God willing. Can you imagine? That That's there will so be shrines evocative. built there around. Will. The, all the rovers around uh, there's spirit on on in another location sort of the opportunities twin that conked out years ago but after lasting a, an extra long time like there will be huge monuments there will be to this achievement there will be and you were and as we should also mention because we were talking about this before we started recording too that the the scientists and the engineers behind this project would feel an like an enormous yeah. amount and they vote like i that. found that so touching that they were in no way sort of clinical and detached about this they were really beautiful blog entries and tributes and they all gathered like it was like a wake that when they gathered mm-hmm. in the jet propulsion laboratory the day they were going to shut her down they're sort of all together and i think there's a couple things going on Certainly there's anthropomorphization. I think she almost became like a pet. Yeah. She's also out there exploring a world far away where we hope to get someday, but she's sort of our advance crew. Um, but there's also just the fact that when you work really hard on a big project with a bunch of people, I can't even imagine navigating this thing from how many millions of miles away with a team for 15 years. Yeah. So there's just... I kind of, I just love this story because I think there's like a consensus that the world is awful right now. Like it's a terrible place. And this (laughs) brought us all back to being five years old and obsessed with space and this sense of like genuine, like wonder and whimsy and like, look at her turning back and showing us the Martian landscape with her her tracks tracks. in it. Like it's just... Everything about it is so beautiful and evocative, and I just like I can't. I don't I have know. a drop of cynicism about any of it. It's no. beautiful. No, photos. Are, he did. The, yeah, look what humanity did. I did. No. We the the beautiful photos actually. Um, and I, what was it that she passed through, um, or maybe spent most of her time through a portion called pervert. Per, Perseverance, Perseverance Crater or something, crater. Or, or Valley. I get them mixed up because they all have also these beautiful, like, 60s aspirational <laughs> names. Like, <laughs> And Spirit was her was her twin. Sure. But who lasted, uh, I think, in 2015, but but was also landed, the, the, landed at the same time in 2004. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, 
uh, yeah, it tells us a lot about our, our sort of romanticization, I think, of space, too, and um, and the importance of doing these kinds of, of missions. I brought a prop today. May yes, I? please. So I thought this was the part of the story that just, like, stopped my heart last night. So on the final day that they were transmitting messages before oh, they no. were going to kind of call it, they one of their last messages to her, I guess they have the ability to play audio, they played for her Billie Holiday singing, I'll be oh. seeing you. Oh, the, the final lines of oh, which Lord. are, Shannon, oh God. I'll find you in the morning sun, and when the night is new, I'll be looking at the moon, but I'll be seeing you. Like, come oh, on. I can't. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a, I don't know. I think we David need is something bawling. pure right now. We need it's, this. She might not be dead. That's the other thing. What they're if gonna, she came gonna, back? That's, her battery's dead, and the, it's a combination of the cold and the solar panels apparently being covered and whatnot mean, like, she can't wake up. But as I understand it, they're going to keep pinging her every once in a while. Can you even imagine? In case... <laughs> A dust storm clears off those solar panels, and and they can start inching way. Oh my god! Or it almost they, certainly won't happen. We can but hope, it could. but it we can could. Hope. We can all hope. Imagine they sent another rover up, and then they met up there. <laughs> we I just see a lot Brushed of off the solar yeah. panels. And <laughs> well, apparently they were they were talking about that. Which what's the one that's still operational? They were trying to to contemplate whether they could kind of jury rig it to go clean her off, but they're like. <laughs> a bajillion Martian miles yeah. apart, like with the speed they travel, it would, I, I forget like the stats were like, it would take the, the other rover like a hundred years to get there to brush her off. So, but you're right. It could happen. It could happen. It's a good news this story. This is a Pixar movie. It is a happen. Pixar. I think there's going to be some movies uh, that come out of this, but it's a good news story. We'll end it there. That's all. Can I get your Twitter handles, please? I am at David Reevely. I am at S Proudfoot. And I'm at Sarah Turnbull. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next time. The 2020 Network is brought to you by Interac. The other day, I received a phishing link, and it turns out I'm not the only one. According to Interac, almost a quarter of Canadians have clicked on a phishing link. If you, like me, are interested in learning more about how you can protect yourself against fraud, visit interact.ca slash fraud prevention. 